you are listening to the Pleasant View Baptist Church preaching podcast. We hope today's message will be a blessing to you and your family. Thank you for taking time to listen to our preaching podcast. even have this marked in my Bible. I've been doing a lot of studying off my iPad because of where I've been at work today. Um, um, but Psalm 73, um, the 73rd division of Psalms, uh, we know the Psalms are not chapters, they're divided up in divisions. And so the 73rd division of Psalms, um, I'm going to read this Psalm and I'm telling you what, I can't help but think um, that there's many Christians out there today that if they were to write a Psalm, this is exactly what it would sound like. Um, I think there's many in this room today um, that probably ready to throw in the towel. And I couldn't imagine that some wanted just to quit church at some point or, or maybe in the last couple of weeks you just think nobody cares. You just think nobody loves you. You think nobody in the church cares or you may even think the man of God don't love you. I promise you, you need to tell the devil he's a liar and tell him to go back to hell where he belongs because that's nothing. all he is is a liar tonight. Let me tell you that, church. But Psalm 73 tonight, you can remain seated because I'm going to read the whole psalm to you and and I'm telling you, just listen to the wordage that this psalmist used. Uh, this is a psalm of Asaph. Uh, um, this is not a psalm of David, but this is a psalm of Asaph. And, and to kind of give you a little history on him, uh, he was a man who uh, uh, took care of the music uh, um, in, 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 the, in, in the nation of Israel or around the temple. He took care of the music. And, and so this is a psalm of Asaph. And um, he... Um, He's a very interesting character, but I ain't going to go too deep into him. I want to just give you this tonight. Psalm 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than their heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak lawfully. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doeth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the house, I'm sorry, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou casteth them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as into a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awaketh. So, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt uh, despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I that I, and ignorant I was as a beast up before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holded me by my right hand. Thou shalt, thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to 
the glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they, uh, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Lord, I thank you for what you do for us tonight, God. God, I thank you, God, for just your presence already in the service, God. God, I thank you, God, for your love and your mercy and your peace, God. God, I thank you, God, for just loving me, God. God, when I was so unlovable, God, God, thank you, God, for just being with me, God, when so many times, God, God, I try to fight against you, God. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your peace, God. God, and I'm begging you tonight, God, to anoint me, God, with the Holy Ghost power of anointing, God. God, hide me behind the other cross, God. God, preach me like a dying man to a dying people tonight, God. God, help encourage your saints tonight. God, I'm begging you, God, if there's one here underneath the sound of my voice that is lost and undone without you, God. God, I'm begging you, Lord, to convict their heart. Show them their lost condition, God, and show them they need you. God, if there's one here that's backslidden, God. God, if there's one here that's not as close as they should be to you, God, I'm begging you, God, that you'll get to their heart, God. God, that you'd get down to them, God, and convict them, God. God, show them they need you, God, and we'll be careful to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'm going to give you an illustration to start out with. It's kind of comical, but it, it fits. One day, there were six blind men decided to go to the zoo. They, they hired a guide to tell them about all the exotic animals that they couldn't see. When they came to the elephants, the zookeeper wanted them to have more than just a verbal description, so he allowed them each to feel of the elephant. Since the elephant was large and since the zookeeper had limited time, he let each man touch one part of this giant mammal. Uh, the first blind man reached out his hand, uh, reached out his hand and grabbed the elephant's tail, and he said, "The elephant is like a big rope." Understand they're blind men. He grabbed the tail. He said, the elephant's like a big rope. The next man felt a massive elephant leg. He touched, uh, it, look, it, it looked strange, no, or it felt strange. No rope was that big. So he said, no, the elephant is like a large log or a, or a tree. The third man looked, uh, walked up and uh, probably as confused as anybody, the third man walked up and walked uh, straight into the elephant's side. He pronounced that this elephant is a really big wall. The third man, the next another one of the blind men, reached out and took hold of one of the elephant's ears. It must have tickled because the elephant wiggled the large ear, causing the fourth man to exclaim, Oh, I see this. The elephant um, is like a big fan. The fifth, man, the, fifth, the fifth blind man decided that the, the first four were all slightly uh, crazy in their thoughts and they couldn't be describing the same creature. So he carefully walked up and put out his hand. The elephant raised his trunk to the man who felt it and grinned in wonder. He said, my friends, it's obvious this elephant is a huge snake. The final man was totally confused. He walked forward and reached out and hoping to find the truth and encountered a tusk. He paused and brightened his eyes and said, I understand the true nature of the elephant is that it is a sword. The zookeeper and the guide smiled at one another knowing that none of the, the none had seen the big elephant, the, the, the big picture. This was the problem which confronted the writer of the book of Psalms. He was looking at his situation from the wrong vantage point. So, so often we are guilty of the same thing. There are times 
when, ter when terrible things come our way during the course of our lives, when, these uh, when, this when this happens, we tend to only look at what we can see. However, there is far more to the picture than what those uh, mortal eyes can behold. The psalmist teaches us how to get our eyes off of our circumstances and place them squarely upon the Lord. Our friend Asaph was ready, was, was ready to quit. He was ready to throw in the towel and just walk away from God. However, he learned to look at things not from the faulty human perspective, but from the perspective of God, you see, like those six blind men, uh, blind men, where a per where a person stands determines what the person sees. Where a person stands determines what a person sees. Then can I tell you tonight? Uh, if we get our eyes on the wrong things, we'll be ready to quit. We get our eyes on the things of the world, uh, uh, we won't quit. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but ever since last Wednesday night, uh, and even in Sunday morning and in tonight, you'll recognize this, that uh, I've, I've really preached on uh, us staying away from the world and how us as a church has got to stay away from the world. And, and I mean, I didn't plan that, but that's what God plans. You know what? I like it when he plans things, and that's what he's done. But, it, but this is what this whole psalmist is about, and we're going to break it down, and I'm going to give you a big introduction and put a tiny house on it, hopefully. And I know some of you are probably sweating now. It'll be 10 o'clock before we get home. I promise you I won't preach as long as I did Sunday morning, all right? I promise you that. Uh, that won't happen. But let's, I'm going to give you four different perspectives uh, um, that we find here in the book of Psalms or in the, the, the 73rd division of Psalms. Uh, we find four perspectives in, these, in this scripture, and I believe it describes uh, just about the entire lifespan or, the, or certain cycles of the Christian life. Um, the, uh, anytime we see in our Bible, in the Old Testament especially, we see the, the, the writers talk about the nation of Israel. Can I tell you what the nation of Israel is a type of uh, in our world? And in our dispensation today, it is a type of the Christian. And can I tell you what? If you if you if you will compare your life to the, as as the life of, of the nation of Israel, you will understand that you're just like them. You'll understand that you do the same things they do. You act like they do. You speak like they do. You talk like they do. They have because because I'm here to tell you, God's never changed. He's the same yesterday and today and forevermore. Can I tell you also? Sin has not changed. Sin is same same sin that was that was a sin two thousand years ago is a sin that's still today. And 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 so there's a cycle that we can see of the nation of Israel. How many times in the Old Testament do you hear the nation of Israel? It seems like they're on a mountaintop and they're worshiping God. And it seems like everything's going good. Then all of a sudden they're in a valley. And it seems like the whole world's against them. Then all of a sudden they're on a mountaintop again. And it seems like they're doing good. And then they're on the bottom again. And you see that it's just it's a constant flow of ups and downs of the Christian life. And can I tell you what? The Christian life is filled with a bunch of ups and downs. Can I tell you why? It's because Satan wants to have you. Satan desires to have you. Uh, he wants to shift you as wheat, as he says. And he wants to destroy you, and he wants to make you irrelevant to, uh, to this lost and dying world. That's what Satan wants to do. That's what he desires to do. And so in that turn, that's why we have these ups and downs. We have these times in our life where we're serving God. And when we're serving God and we're doing the things of the Lord, and it's God, it just seems like God's dumping a bucket of blessings on us, it seems like we're on the mountaintop. Then all of a sudden something happens, and and before we know it, we're somewhere in the valley and we're about to throw in the towel and give up. That's just where we're at. You know, it's ups and downs. And, and so in this, in this psalm right here, I believe we can find a continual up and down through this psalm. The first perspective I want to look at is the perspective of a believer. I see in verse number one, he says, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. This is, the, this is the perspective of every believer, that we know God is good to us. <laughs> and can I tell you what? If you don't 
don't know God's good to you, you need to open up and check your eyes and get things figured out by yourself because I'm here to tell you God's good to you. And I tell you what, every one of us in this room tonight can do this. And take a deep breath. God's good to us. There ain't none of us laying in a hospital tonight. God's good to us. As far as I know, there's nobody in this room that I know of personally battling cancer. Can I tell you that? God's good to us. Can I tell you what? Every one of us today, we had the strength to get in a car and either probably drive to the, to the workhouse. If not, we drove to the church house. Can I tell you God's good to us tonight? Can I tell you what? Just about everybody in this room has at least one person in this room that they can tell they love tonight. Can I tell you what? God is good to us tonight. Can I tell you what? Every one in this room probably had enough money on the way home tonight if you wanted to get you a bite to eat. Can I tell you what? God's good to us. Can I tell you what? God's good to this old boy. Can I tell you what? I don't deserve it. I don't, I don't need it. I don't de- but he's good to this old boy. God loves me. I don't know why he loves me, but he does. God's good to me. And this psalmist right here was just telling the world that truly God is good to Israel. He is reminding himself. He is reminding the world that he, that, that he is a believer. That he has the perspective of a believer but can I tell you what uh, when he says that word truly right there he means that this that word right there means only he is saying this right here I'm not trusting in any God I'm not trusting in Buddha I'm not trusting in a Pope with no hope Uh, I'm trusting in the one and true and living God I'm trusting in the one that created it all I'm trusting in the one that Moses and Abraham and Isaac loved I'm trusting in that God tonight and he is saying that that God is my anchor. Look right here, the God being our anchor, he secures us in Isaiah 26.3. He steadies us in Psalms 31. He stables us in Isaiah 26. Back in Psalms 26, or Isaiah 26, God is our strength. In Hebrews 13, 5, God is solid. Can I tell you what? God is our anchor tonight. And can I tell you right now, if you're in the ups and downs of this life, you need to realize that God is your anchor. Can I tell you what? You don't need to, you need to realize that I'm not your anchor. You need to realize that this church is not your anchor. You need to realize that the only anchor you have is God himself. You need to realize that you can't depend on no one else. You can depend on God. Can I tell tell you what, you need to learn that tonight, that God is who he says he is. Can I look right here? I see the perspective of a believer. But then uh, things change in just one verse. Can I tell you what, verses in the Bible, uh, when, you, when you read these verses in the Bible, I think we just take them for words on a page sometimes. Uh, sometimes we forget uh, that it was a human being inspired by God that wrote about a moment in their life tonight, church. And, and let me just tell you what right now, these are moments uh, in the life of Asaph. And can I tell you, in just a moment, uh, uh, he went from a believer to a doubter. In one verse, the Asaph went from a believer to a doubter. And can I tell you what, it only takes one moment in our lives for us to go from believer to doubter. How many times in our lives do we find ourselves on a spiritual high? And then one moment happens in our life and we find ourselves doubting everything. Well, can you can I tell you what us as a human race and us as Christians, we jump to conclusions more than anybody. We jump straight to the word. I pick on Morgan all the time. I give her a hard time. If it's going to storm, it's going to be the worst tornado the world has ever seen. It's not going to hit everywhere. It's just going to hit our house. That's what it's going to happen. It gets to around the snow time of the year, and we worry about a snowstorm. She'll say, what's the weather going to be like? I say, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Just hang in there a minute. It's going to be all right. 
Next thing you know, we'll have five gallons of milk and four loaves of bread in the refrigerator because she's worried. Jump to conclusions. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just picking on her, but it's the truth. Every one of us is like it. Every one of us, when there's a snowstorm, we get worried about it, and we'll say, do we got any milk and bread? I mean, that's the first thing we all say. We, I guess we can live without meat, but we can't live without milk and bread. I guess we're going to have milk sandwiches. That'll be good, won't you think, Brother Vince? But anyway, we, go to, we jump to conclusions and we go from a believer to a doubter. And can I tell you what? There's going to be circumstances in your life. There's going to be things in your life that come by that's going to turn you into a doubter. Can I tell you what Satan's job is? He wants to turn you into a doubter. If he can turn you into a doubter, then he's one step away from getting you where he wants you. And that's out of church and out of the will of God. If he can get you to doubt just a little bit. We all, uh, so many times us as, uh, as, as um, modern day Christians and us as a Baptist today, so many times when we hear that word doubt, we think of somebody doubting their salvation. But doubt goes so much more than just salvation. So it goes, it's so deeper than that. Doubt goes all the way that you doubt that God can even do what he says he can do. How many times will we trust Him with our soul, but we won't trust Him with our money? How many times will we trust Him with our soul, but we won't trust Him with our food in our pantry? How many times will we trust Him with our soul, but we won't trust Him to take care of our kids as they go off with somebody else, or as they're driving down the road, or as they go to school? Let's just be real tonight. We would turn into a doubter. And it happens with one moment. Look what he says. He says, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious, envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He, what he's saying right here is that he felt the hold that he had was going away. He felt that it was slipping. One of my favorite games to play growing up was tug of war. I remember it. I loved tug-of-war. I guess because I was so big, they had put me at the end. Brother Vince, I'd take that long rope, I'd put that rope behind my back, and I'd sit down. And you know, as long as my feet stayed right, they wasn't moving this old boy. They wasn't gonna. They they couldn't. They couldn't move me enough. Uh, it's gonna take a couple of them. I could hold several of them off when I was in high school. I remember. But it's cause I had the right foot. If I didn't have the right footing, I was gonna fall. And what he's saying right here, the psalmist is starting to doubt, and he's realizing that his feet are starting to slip. He's starting to see himself uh, become a doubter. And he starts doubting. Look right here. Look at moments. I think about this right here. Talking about changing in a moment. It's all because your feet ain't right. You've got to have the right foundation. If he had the right foundation, he would never fail. But can I tell you, we all may feel like we're on the right foundation. We all may feel like we're on a solid foundation. But can I tell you, in the moment, it can change everything. I think of a story. I hadn't thought about this in years. Uh, I just thought of an old story that happened to me when we about lost my sister at the beach. Uh, she about drowned it uh, at the beach. We used to, when we was little, we'd get out there at the beach, and we'd go out there. We'd, when Daddy got, it was all fun and games, Mama would say, don't go past your thigh deep. You ain't allowed to go past thigh deep, she'd say. And she'd look at me, and she'd say, hey! And I knew what that meant. I was too deep. So Brother Vince, I learned I'd go out there and I could lay down and I'd get a little deeper than what she thought I was. I was pretty sneaky. But when Daddy came out there, Mama would walk down the beach because she couldn't stand it. But when Daddy came out there, now we was allowed to go out deep. Uh, I remember times growing up, we'd get out so deep, I remember looking back at the pier. I mean, at Curie Beach. I'm talking, 
I remember one year we got out there. I was I, I'm pretty good swimmer. I may be old fat boy, but I can swim. Um, if, if Lord, if there was such thing as reincarnation, I believe God would reincarnate me, reincarnate me as a fish uh, or or a bird. I like to fly too. But uh, anyway, swimming. Uh, anyway, get back to the whole point. We was out there in the ocean. We was swimming, and we was, we we got out deep. I'm talking. I got I went down and I went as far as I could, and, and I held my hands above my head, and I never did touch the bottom. And started panicking and had to swim back up, and my hands went up in there. But then, all of a sudden, we went around and found a sandbar, Brother Vince. And we went from, I'm telling you, probably 12 or 13 foot of water to knee deep. We thought we were something. We was out there, I'm talking, there's people between us and the shore that can't touch bottom. And we're out there like, what y'all doing? People looking at us, pointing at us, they're on a sandbar. And all of a sudden, in a moment, it changed. And the sandbar was gone. And I remember my, me and Lindsay, the one that was here that day, that sung, she grabs me and we're digging back. I mean, we're doing everything we can to get back up on the sandbar. We find it and we get back up and we start making our way in. And we look back and I don't see Daddy and Lucia. That's Alicia. That's my oldest sister. Her real name's Lucia. They just don't know it yet. Uh, Lucia, she, she was gone. Couldn't find her no more. Daddy, this is what we found out later on, Daddy realized that she went under and he went under after and he said he felt the tips of her fingers is all he felt and he pulled as hard as he could and when he did he had pulled her back up to where he was and basically he swam her to safety and of course when we get back up on land it's daddy's like don't you say a word to your mama did none of this happen and what Lush about died i mean she we almost had a memorial at the beach unless she was about to swim with the fishes uh she almost did it was almost over with but it was because it's because life almost changed in a moment we laugh about it now, but it was, if she'd have died, it would have been serious. And it would have been a life changing. It all took place in a moment. Your life can change just like that in an instant. It's moments. And you can go from a believer to a doubter. From a believer to the doubter. And then if you go from a believer to a doubter, it won't be long and you'll find yourself where Asaph is in verses 4 through 14. You'll find out that he was a wrestler. He went from a believer to a doubter, and now he's wrestling with the, with, the, with, with the Christian reality. Look what he says. He says, For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than their heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak lawfully. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Uh, therefore his people return hither, and the waters of a full cup are wrung out. And they say, How doeth God know? And there is knowledge in the Most High. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase uh, in riches. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain. Wash my hands in instancy, for all the day long have I plagued and chastened every morning. He becomes a wrestler. He begins to wrestle with what's the true reality. He says, in his mind, as you read this, you can see him thinking in his mind, if I just lived like the world, you know, I could have that nice house. I could have that fancy car. I could go on those big vacations. If I just lived like the world, if I could just got a glimpse of it, if I could just not be with God and, and be with the world, then I could have everything my heart desired. And that is where his feet started slipping. He got his eyes on the world and got his eyes off God and he began to start slipping. And can I tell you what? It don't matter if it's sin. It don't matter what sin it is. It don't matter if it's just unfaithfulness to the house of the Lord. It don't matter what it is. If you, if you begin to turn away from God, it's all going to start with a look. David's sin with Bathsheba, it started with a look. He didn't sin when he walked out on the rooftop. 
He didn't sin. David didn't sin with Bathsheba when he, when he walked up there and saw her bathing over here. He didn't sin then. When he sinned is when he kept looking. And then that one look turned into two looks, which turned into him not being able to get his eyes off of her, which turned to him being out calling his servants to say, hey, go get Bathsheba. And then it, he was already so deep that he couldn't get out. His feet slipped. And can I tell you what, church? Satan will take you from a believer to a doubter, and then you'll start wrestling with God. You'll start wrestling with real reality. You will start doing... There was a man in the Bible that wrestled with God. What happened to him? He walked away with a limp. Promise you, you start wrestling with God, he may just make you limp. He may make you walk with a limp. But just Asaph went from a believer to a doubter to a wrestler. But then he ended up, in the end of the psalm, he ended up a worshiper. He started worshiping God. He started, he said, therefore the people return hither. And I'm sorry, let me back up. Verse number 15. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should find offense against the generation of thy children. And he goes on, and look what he says at the end of the verse. He says, my flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord, God, that I may declare all thy works. He went from a he went from a believer to a doubter to a wrestler, and then we find him worshiping again. And then a worshiper, guess what turned him back into? A believer. And can I tell you, that's what happens in your Christian life. You'll go from a, from a believer to a doubter to a wrestler, and something will happen. You'll get close with God. You'll start taking God seriously, and you'll start worshiping God. And next thing you know, you'll feel yourself being a believer. Not that you get saved again, but you get what I'm saying. You'll find yourself that you trust God more. And can I tell you what? When did Asaph, and I'm getting somewhere, I promise you. I'm trying, I'm trying to hurry. When did Asaph's life turn? When did he realize who he truly was? Let's look at our, let's look at our verse. Let's look at our scripture. Let me find it right here. I didn't mark it. I thought I did, but apparently I didn't. Hang on, let me find it. He said right here, he says, um, I'm trying to find it. I promise, church, I apologize. He said this, but I'll just tell you, it's in there. I promise. It's one of the verses. I'll find it. He found his strength when he went to the sanctuary of God. He said, 17, he says, until I went to the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. So he, what he's talking about, he's talking about the wicked. He's talking about the world. He said, when I went to the house of God, when I went into the sanctuary of God, when I stayed faithful to the house of God, guess what things happened? I understood the world has an end, but I'm going to worship the one that has no end. I'm going to worship the one that's the creator of us all, and I'm going to do it. And that is the up and down. Is that not the truth tonight, church? That we are believers. We are doubters. We start wrestling with God. Then all of a sudden we start worshiping God. And we're back up to being a believer again. The next thing you know, something comes along and we become a doubter. We start wrestling with God. Then we start doubting God. And then we start oh, we worshiping God again. Can I tell you what? That's why you need the church. I was thinking about this today. Why do we have church on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights? Uh, it's just something we've set aside to do that. But think about it. If on Sunday you're a believer, Monday you start doubting, Tuesday you start wrestling, Wednesday, guess what? You're back at church. You're going to start worshiping again. That makes you Thursday a believer, Saturday a doubter. You'll wake up Sunday wrestling, but you'll end Sunday worshiping, and you'll become a believer again. 
on Sunday morning. And then you start your whole routine all over again. It's that ups and downs of the Christian life. And you can follow. Can I promise you this right here? I've seen it hundreds of times. Uh, Lord's let me see this. If you're in the house of God, you're doing the things of God, I've noticed you'll stay closer to God. But one of the first things that happens to somebody that starts straying away, they'll start missing Wednesday night service, just for example. They'll start missing Wednesday nights, and then they'll miss Sunday nights. Then they'll miss maybe a, two Wednesday nights in a row, and then they'll miss maybe a Sunday morning here and there, and, and then it becomes a routine. The next thing you know, they're out of church, and that's when the problems start. Lots of times you'll start seeing problems when they leave. They'll leave the church before they ever leave God. You, they'll leave the church before they ever leave God. Trust me on that. But you'll see that happen. And there's my introduction. Y'all ready for the message? I said all that. And if somebody were, if there was a new Christian in here tonight, they would probably ask this question. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it really worth it? And let me tell you, there is some things that makes it worth it. And I tell you, there's some things that makes it worth it. Number one tonight, church, the saints before us. That's what makes it worth it. Tell you what, I can go another mile because of the saints before us. I think of the saints before us. I think of my grandpa, man who on his deathbed was preaching the gospel as hard as he could preach on his deathbed. Days before he died, he was thundering out the word of God in the hospice home. Think about my mama who lived a life of just pure love to everyone. Them are saints that's gone on before us. I think about people like Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary to China in the 19th century. He left his safe and secure home in Yorkshire. He walked away from a career as a successful doctor. He spent all of his money to reach the lost souls of China. His daughter died in China. His wife died in China. His own health failed him on the mission field. Yet through it all, he boldly proclaimed, I never made a sacrifice. His son said, my father realized that the compensations were so real and lasting that he came to see that giving up is, is, inevitable, is inevitably receiving. When one is dealing, uh, when one is dealing heart, heart with God, the sacrifice was great, but the reward is greater. I believe if you were to ask Hudson Taylor tonight, if we could pull him out of the grave, bring him down out of heaven and say, Hudson Taylor, was it worth it? And I believe he would probably, especially if we could look into heaven, he would probably grab a bunch of little Chinese kids that probably gathered around him with his arms around him. He'd say, yeah, it was worth it. Yeah, it was worth it. What about um, Horatius Spafford? Horatius Spafford was a famous songwriter in the 1800s. In 1870, his four-year-old daughter, or his four-year-old son, I'm sorry, died of the scarlet fever. He later lost most of his finances in the Great Chicago Fire of 1870. In, a, in 1873, a ship carrying his immediate family sank, killing his four daughters, leaving his wife uh, on the only survivor. When sailing across the area where his, uh, where his children passed, he began to pen the words of this famous song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. 
I could imagine today if we could look into heaven and, and, and reach in and ask Horatius Bathard to, or to come forth and, and, and to every person that has ever lived that heard this song and it touched their life, changed their life, maybe even brought them to the knowledge of Jesus Christ through the song, It Is Well, would be standing around him. I wonder if you ask that question, is it worth it? I believe you'd say it is. What about men like William Thindale? Y'all have heard me talk about him before. William Thindale was a, uh, he was, he was a, he was a scholar that was fluent in eight different languages. Thindale came to believe that the teachings of the church leaders were not always constant with the Bible. Furthermore, he wondered why, what good it was for the people to hear the biblical readings and church literatures in Latin when only language they understood was English. Thindale decided he would translate the New Testament into English. Like-minded, like-minded people supported Thindale's efforts. Working in secret, often outside his own country, he published his New Testament. Today, with worth millions of dollars in 1525, uh, uh, many of the poetic phrases he used in his translations, let there be light, the apple of his eye, the powers that be, and eat and drink and be merry, are still used today. Not long thereafter, he was befriended by Henry Phillips, a, a, a traitor who had always planned to betray Thindale. Um, after he was arrested in Belgium, Thindale was long imprisoned, ill-treated, then executed. He, uh, his alleged crimes were disagreements with the church teachings and his English Bible translations. Just before him, he died, Thindale prayed that God would open the eyes of the King of England, of the King of England, thereby allowing people in England to have access to their own Bibles translated in their own language. Soon after that, that uh, that is exactly what happened. Who? Why do we call it the King James Bible? It was the King of England that appointed men uh, to to translate the Bible in English for English-speaking people. William Thindale was a cardinal of the Catholic Church. That means he had anointed oil on his hands. And when he died, they, they tried, the Catholic Church tried to scrape the oil off his hands by taking razor blades and glass and trying to scrape it off. But the more they scraped, the more they realized that they could not undo what those godly hands did. And he penned our New Testament today. The words that we read in English today, is cause of men by the name of William Thindale. I guarantee you if he's in heaven tonight, which I believe that he is, he looks down and sees me preaching from a King James Bible. And I believe if you were to ask him, was it worth it? He would say, absolutely, it was worth it. It was worth What about Stephen? I'm getting somewhere. I promise you I'm trying to hug. Stephen, what about Stephen? And Bible said, well, well, I'm just going to tell you about Stephen. Stephen was one of our first martyrs in our Bible. He, he, followed, he, uh, he came to know uh, Christ, and, and he began to follow the teachings of Christ, and uh, he, began to walk, he began to walk and talk and, and to be a disciple of Christ. And we find him over there being stoned, and the people who stoned him, they laid their, coat at the feet, at the, uh, they laid their coats at the feet of a man by the name of Saul, who later would become Paul. But Stephen was stoned. When Stephen stoned, uh, when Stephen was stoned, he got to gaze into heaven and see the Lord standing at the right hand of the Father. I guarantee you, if you were to ask Stephen tonight if, he, if it was worth it, he'd say it was absolutely worth it. Every, every one of the bruises, every one of the stones, he would say it was worth it. It was worth it all. I wonder if you were to ask Paul tonight, was it worth it? He'd say it was worth it. I wonder if you were to ask Timothy tonight, was it worth it? He'd say worth it. It was worth it. What about John the Beloved or John the Revelator, man who was boiled alive, boiled alive in oil and survived, a man who spent 
lonely hours, uh, countless hours uh, on the island of Patmos. Uh, I wonder if tonight if we could pull him out of heaven and say, was it worth it? Uh, I believe he'd say it was. Church, it's worth it tonight. Look right here. They, they, the, look at the price they paid. They all, the ones I told you about tonight are all not living. They're all dead. They're all saints before us. They paid the price, but they paved the road. They paid the price, but they paved the road for us. Uh, that way we can stand in a, in a country today that's free. And we stand in a country today where I can thunder out the word of God without the fear of persecution at all on my life. I don't, I'm not worried tonight, no matter what I say, that there ain't nobody going to come in that door and try to shoot me tonight. I ain't worried about it. Uh, I, it's not going to be the government. They're not coming after me. They may in the near future, but they're not coming after me now. And we live in a world because of men and women who got, got real with God and realized that it was worth it for a generation today to be able to praise God and worship Him freely. Look right here. I see, I think, I think it's worth it because of the saints before us. But I think it's worth it because of the starving among us. There's starving people among us. The, the, the statistics say this, that 70%, 73% of Americans uh, in 2016 proclaimed to be Christians. But in that percentage, that includes your Catholicism, your, uh, any, any, all denominations of Christianity. Uh, uh, just Catholicism alone makes up almost 60% of that 73%. You start doing those numbers, you're going to realize there's some starving people around us. You look up here as we drive down Main Street this evening and, and we see that, 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 that just grossness that's sitting there on the side of the road with the flag. Can I tell you what it tells me? It tells me there's a starving world out there that needs the gospel. There's a starving community around us that needs, a star, that needs, a, that needs somebody to tell them about the Lord. Can I tell you, it's worth it. It's worth it tonight, church, for the lost souls. Rick Warren said this. He said, God expects harvest. God wants us to catch fish, not just look after an aquarium. God wants us to catch them, not just look after them. Satan binds their minds. Selfishness controls their hearts. Surroundings shape their values. Sinful, uh, sin dominates their lives. I ain't got time to go into all this right here. A lost person, they're directionless, they're defenseless, they're discouraged, uh, they're disconnected, they're depressed, they're devilish, they're de de devastated. But can I tell you what? It's worth it because of the, the, the starving among us. It's, it's worth it for the, the saints before us, but it's worth it because of the starving among us. Look right here. Lastly tonight, and I'll be done. It's worth it because our sons and daughters behind us. It's worth it because of the ones that came before us. It's worth it because of the starving behind us, but it's also worth it because our sons and daughters behind us. Second, First Timothy 6.12, it says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before any witnesses. Read this right here. This is, this is pitiful. This is a note from an 11-year-old. This is a note written by an 11-year-old girl. I think it was a girl. Pretty sure it was a girl. I'm 11, and I don't want to live anymore was the title. I'm very, I'm very young, but I want to die already. I hate my life. I'm 11 years old. I know I can't live more. No, I can't live more. I just want to know what, it, what is the less painful and easiest way to die. I don't want my life anymore. I have to die. I just can't look into my future. I love my parents, but I can't carry on with this life. I hate my life. All my cousins are goth. While I thought of a kind of, I kind of like joining them with them, I don't know if I should believe in God or not. My life is pure of misunderstand, uh, is a pure misunderstanding. I want to die. This is one that's written by a depressed 14-year-old. Says, hey, look, I'm 14, almost 15. 
and I'm and, and well, I am depressed. Uh, I, I, I have no life. I'm, I mean, I come. I mean, come on. I have no friends. I'm picked on because of my appearance is different. Soccer practices are really crappy. I get made fun of and tripped, and soccer balls kicked at me, and the rest of it. My parents are constantly yelling at me. I lock myself in my room and think of ways to commit suicide. I, tr I tried suicide once, but I couldn't go through with it. Basically, I tried cutting my throat and 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 and, and uh, tried cutting my throat. I am supposedly Catholic, but I don't I don't understand anything. I have reached other religions and they seem fake too. There is like a, there there is like only one thing that I understand, and it is more of a culture, not a religion. It is and it, and it is goth. I mean, I love arts, music, and I live my life in the dark and so on. I know what to do and I am lost in this world and I know what I won't understand. I, I know that I, don't, I won't understand it. All I think about is suicide. My school grades are low. I don't do any work and all the teachers hate me. I know that, for, that, that a 14 year old shouldn't be having um, that I should, should be having the time of their life and stuff but I'm not. I try to live my life as long as I can but my efforts will fall short. Uh, will fall short soon. I know it. Sometimes we may feel like our life isn't worth fighting for. Sometimes we may feel like that, but let me tell you, it is. Young people, it is worth fighting for. It is. This is the, this is, these, are, these are children. These are the kids that are behind us. These are the generation that this is an 11-year-old and a 14-year-old wrote these things. This wasn't an adult. This was 11 and 13 and 14. Let me give you some statistics. In 2000, approximately 31 students, 31% of students dropped out of high school, and they give up, and they give up on purity. 820,000 teen girls get pregnant each year. 34% 34, 34 of young women get pregnant at least once before, before they turn 20. They give up on every day on their families. 50% of first marriages end in divorce. That was as of 2007. I'm sure that's a lot higher now. People give up every day on God. 71% of teenagers who go to church will stop going to church by the age of 20. 71%. Three out of every four teenagers will not be in church by the time that they're 25 years old. That's sad. It's pitiful. You think of it right here. Some of you have been in this church many, many years. How many teenagers, which you've seen through the years, that are now 25, 30, 35, and 40 years old, how many of them are in church today? How many are in church today? It should break our hearts. This is the generation behind us. There are many reasons why young people give up. The death of a loved one, divorced parents, wasted, uh, 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 wasn't pretty enough, wasn't skinny enough, can't make any friends, boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with him, family moved, lost all of his old friends or their old friends. People give up every day. People stop fighting every day. Let me just tell you this. Quitters are a dime a dozen. Takes zero effort to quit. It does. Although no parents want to think about topic, these topics like teen suicide, teen pregnancy, and teen violence, those issues are real among many of our teenagers today. It's important for parents to be informed about the issues many teenagers are facing. Even if your teen never experiences or any serious problems firsthand, she'll likely or he'll likely have friends and classmates who do. Listen to this right here. This should break our hearts, church, for the generation behind us. should break our hearts. In the next 24 hours in the United States of America, in the next 24 hours in this great nation that we live in, and yes, I still call it great, in this great nation that we live in, the next 24 hours, 1,439 teens will attempt suicide. 2,795 teenage girls will become pregnant. 15,006 teens will use drugs for the first time. 3,506 teens will run away from home. Two teens will be murdered in the next 24 hours in the United States.
Look at this right here on youth and crime. In 2013, the United States handled 1.1 million juvenile delinquency cases. More than a quarter of crimes committed by juveniles are committed by females. Almost 22,000 crimes involved weapons. Every four minutes, a youth is arrested for an alcohol-related crime. Every seven minutes, a youth is arrested for a drug crime. I, I could go on. The generation behind us is, makes it worth it, church. And one more thing tonight, and I'll be done. What makes it worth it tonight? It makes it worth it because of the saints before us. It makes it worth it because of the saints before us. Let me get it all in here so you remember it all. The saints before us. It's worth it because of the starving among us. It's worth it because of the sons and daughters behind us. But it's worth it because of the Savior among us. You can't, if you can't get brokenhearted for the statistics I give you, at least do it for God. It's worth it for the Savior. It's worth it for Him tonight, church. Is it worth it? Yes. Yes, it's worth it. Absolutely, 100%, it's worth it. I'll say this. If I could pull my mama out of heaven tonight, and I could ask her, was cancer worth it? She would look around and say, was there one person saved? Was there one life changed? And I know without a shadow of a doubt, my mama would say, it was worth it. It was 